what we found is about 40% of working individuals, and again, it was a little higher in those under 40, are experiencing this in one way or another. You know, there's procrastination, there's, you know, difficulty taking in new information, there's difficulty completing important tasks, although you want to. It's, it's, it, it is fairly significant. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important conversations on the future of work confronting business leaders and people today. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the ever-changing convergence of business, technology, and people. Over the past few weeks, we've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people about employee experience, employee engagement, belonging, caring, empathy in the workplace. We've had the privilege of interviewing thought leaders such as BetterUp's Gabriella Kellerman, Headspace's Jason Richmond and Sandra Kuhn, neuroscientist Paul Zak, Gallup's Vibhas Ritanji, leadership consultant and author Jacob Morgan. The collective knowledge we gained from these experts is a masterclass in putting the H back in human resources. And using the word masterclass might be a bit of an understatement, but we're not done yet because in just a few minutes, we're going to bring on TELUS Health's Paula Allen. And she's gonna share with us some jaw-dropping stats about the state of mental health in the workplace. And while you might not have heard about TELUS Mental Health Index until today, let me say that what I've learned in the last few weeks since I've been introduced to it, that the Mental Health Index is, telehealth is what Gallup is to engage employee engagement. And let me just share this recent stat from the research because in September, 2023, just a few weeks ago, 25% of workers in the US have a high mental health risk. 40% have a moderate health risk, mental health risk. And let me do some quick math for you. That leaves only 35% of workers have low mental health risk. Let me repeat, only one out of three employees have a low mental health risk. And that sort of aligns with the Gallup polls that say that nearly two-thirds of employees are disengaged, only one-third are engaged at work. And like the history of employee engagement, despite billions of dollars invested in improving the mental health of workers, there's been little change over the last few years. So what are companies doing wrong? How can companies benefit by acknowledging that mental health of workers actually matters, not just giving it lip service? And, and it doesn't matter just for the employee. It matters for engagement. It matters for turnover, retention, profits, and even the company brand. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss our conversation with TELUS Health's Paula Allen. 
But before we get there, it's time for our weekly Perfect Labor Storm segment, where we focus each week on disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trends that we believe you should know. And, and today's stats are from telehealth's most recent mental health index. So between October and September, the mental health of workers fell 1.4 points. Part of the reason is that the financial well-being of workers is at its lowest point since the launch of the Financial Well-Being Index in April 2021, right in the heart of the pandemic. Why is this important? Well, financial well-being is highly correlated with mental well-being, which is highly correlated with turnover and productivity. A contributing factor for some workers is simple. Besides putting food on the table and keeping a roof over their head, 63% of workers don't know or aren't sure how much retirement savings they may, they may need. 24% are concerned they won't be able to be, they won't be able to retire. And why does this matter? Because only 25% of those surveys said it doesn't matter. As a result, Mental health subscores such as anxiety, loneliness, and work productivity are the lowest for 17 consecutive months. Gara, amid the major discussions you just referenced, kind of the backdrop of, of all this mental health piece, too, that's taking place is we've got some major groundbreaking things taking place at warp speed in the world of AI that at some point are probably going to become part of this conversation soon. Let me give you an example. Just last week, a company called Humane launched the world's first AI pin. You heard that right, P-I-N, pin, almost like you would wear on your lapel, and it summons whenever it's needed. We'll see how consumer adoption goes with it, but what is quite clear is we're entering a new age of interactive computing in the human experience, where instead of using different apps for different tasks, we'll simply tell our devices in every language what we want them to do for us. Our friend John Sine says this is going to usher in what he calls the intimacy economy. That is, AI is going to become a companion in many of our human experiences. So how does this relate to, the, to today's conversation on mental health, he might be wondering? Well, I want you to imagine with me that like wearing wearable AI, it's going to be able to give us real-time advice on spending while we're in the store. Or imagine it being a career coach or a guide or a mentor suggesting when it might be time to consider a new job or a new role. And then it helps you map out the exit strategy to your next phase of life from a career standpoint. Or how about this? What if it helped co coaches you and mentors you when you're going through a really hard time, like the loss of a loved one? Could it be that many of the precipitating factors for our fears and worries driving the decline in mental health, as you mentioned from the Mental Health Index, that maybe one day it might be helped with AI? Believe it or not, futurists like Bill Gates are saying this reality that we just talked about, it's going to be here in the next five years. And so helping us unpack all of this around mental health now and also in the future is Paula Allen, the global leader and senior vice president at TELUS Health. She leads a team of data scientists, researchers, and experts in organizational health, communication, and behavioral change. And her focus is informing data-driven strategy and communicating insights in a manner that is accessible and drives productive action. So without further ado, let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to today's guest, Paula Allen. 
Hello, hello. I'm, I'm very, very glad to be with you both. Paula, thank you so much for being with us. And as you heard at the top, we got a lot to cover today, so we're going to get right to it. But before we get into kind of the, the meat and potatoes of the mental health piece, let's get to know you a little bit first. Tell us about you and the work you're doing and how you became passionate about mental health in the workplace. Yeah, it's it's been a bit of a journey for me. I, I actually started with my passion around mental health in the first year of university. And what changed me, because I was planning to be a graphic artist or a lawyer or something very different, is I actually saw an image of a brain. And I saw that brain change. And I learned that the reason why the structure, the physical structure of that brain changed was because the person was experiencing unrelenting stress. And that blew me away. That took me back. That changed what, how I thought about mental health. And, 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 and really, the, the passion that ignited hasn't gone away because I'm understanding just how important our experiences are, our perceptions are, our mental health is to virtually everything, relationships, work, our physical health. And I started as a clinician and moved into the corporate world and just kept asking questions around how could we prevent this or how could we amplify this if it was something good. And that's led me to a research role, which I'm very, very passionate about right now. As you were yeah. describing that, Paula, it took me back. I'm an old millennial. And so I remember in school those seeing commercials around this is your brain on drugs. You remember with the fried yeah. egg and the skillet. Mm-hmm. And that image was brought back to me. You're talking about unrelented stress and what it was doing to the brain, but that was the image that was going on in my head as you were describing that. So obviously a lot of the data that we talked about here at the start, the IR was sharing the perfect labor storm uh, that comes from your company's research on the mental health index. We got a lot of super stressed out folks that are really at risk for mental health factors. Can you kind of take a step back for us real quick here? And how do you think we got here? What's going on? Well, we didn't get here overnight. We have been uh, trending to a more vulnerable place for quite some time. So on two occasions, the Surgeon General of the United States, for example, is one item, has, has, has sounded the alarm on our trend to being more isolated. So not having as many of the deep relationships, not having people, like even in our own research, a quarter of us don't have anyone to turn to in a time of distress. And when you think about it, this is a consequence just of our our adaptation to what's going on. So, you know, in, in the, if you look way, way back centuries ago, if you didn't have a tribe, a community, you know, a group of people who were had each other's back, you died, plain and simple. The elements killed you. You weren't able to get uh, food on a sustainable basis. It, it just didn't work for us. So we had these connections as just a natural part of who we are as human beings. And then fast forward, you know, I, I, I know we tested it during the pen, uh, pandemic. Each one of us is a little experiment. I know I could do my work from home. I could get my food. I could get my entertainment. I could. There's a lot of things that I could do functionally without other people. But we're still 
we're still human beings. And over the past 20 years, we have been moving and moving and moving to be more isolated. Like these little micro changes, kind of like climate change, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And we don't really notice it, but the impact is great. And that exacerbated over the pandemic. So we many of us were in a kind of a forced isolation situation. We were already trending towards this path and we haven't really gotten out of it. We haven't, if you really kind of reflect and we've done some of the research and said about two thirds of us have not gotten back to the same level of interaction as, the, as we had before. And our relationships continue to become more superficial. And again, that started before pandemic and, and has just been exacerbated. And you mentioned AI. And this isn't, I don't look at it so much as an AI issue because AI is going to do things that are wonderful. We're going to have some un unintended consequences that we don't like, just like every change. But the thing with AI is it's also going to exacerbate another risk, which is the pace of change in our lives. So we don't like change as human beings, no matter what we say. We don't, we don't we even, even change that we control is stressful. Change that we don't control is super stressful. And the pace of change is really increasing. If you look from one century to another, you know, many, many years ago, there wasn't that much change. If you look from, you know, 2001 to 2023, there's been a lot. And, you know, you, what your comments are around Bill Gates, we're going to see things move much, much faster. And that's hard. That, that makes us feel overwhelmed. So just those two things alone are a part of, of the impact that we're seeing. You're speaking my language there, Paula. So I've been talking about this for a long time. In fact, my book, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, it, was about it wasn't about recruit the first 150 pages had nothing to do with recruitment. It was about how fast our world was changing. Yeah. And, and ultimately how that was going to impact that. And uh, some of the listeners may have heard this on, on previous episodes. And anybody who is around me or listens to me anywhere, they'll hear it. Because one of the limiting factors, and this sounds weird, one of the limiting factors of AI right now is the ability of computers to process all the information that they're fast enough. Mm -hmm. So, when, so it, it has allowed us to process that information. But we're on the verge of quantum computing. Mm -hmm. we've, we've got 50 supercomputers in the world that are processing all this information and all these huge data forms. But the moment that, that quantum computing comes online, the processing speed increases 168 million times. Yeah. I mean, we're going to be able to process what would normally take the entire planet working 24-7 processing spreadsheets to be able to do that in seconds. So we're just at the verge of this. So, you know, as, as you said, we ripped back the, the we talked a lot about the, how the pandemic ripped back the curtain on engagement and, and, and a lot of things in our lives. But yeah, it's just going to accelerate. But as you were talking, there was a whole lot of different points. But the, the one thing that I, I want to address, because I, I know there's some listeners that are probably going to say, yeah, this remote work world thing is really what caused this. And, you know, I, I, I hope I, it really started a long time before that. I yes. mean, mental health issues weren't, you know, they were, they were pretty bad before it might have exacerbated them. But at the same time, you have proponents, and which I am, 
uh, one of them and Jason, but proponents of hybrid work, also remote work, because it's also improved the well-being for many people. So on one side, we're saying, okay, the, all this technology working remote has exacerbated the loneliness, but at the same time, it's improved the well-being of others. How, how do we square that? Well, we, 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 we square it by realizing that human beings are complex <laughs> and, <laughs> and not, not, not everything works for everyone. And that, that's sort of the challenge. Like it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to have a sweeping statement that one manner is better than another other manner. There are some people who have, and, and some organizations who have thrived in that, in that, in that situation, but they have other things going for them. You know, if you just throw people into a, a work from home situation and you don't have other strengths, you're, gonna have, you're still not going to be successful. They already have engaged people. They have people with a sense of belonging. They have a, a psychological safety. So you're not worried about what's happening when you're not in the office and who might be speaking about you. You you have a colleague relationship. So even if you're not, you are working from home, you can reach out to people and have a connection, even from a video point of view. You know, they've done their homework and they have the things that make a difference. If you don't have that, you know, one of the things that really sort of gets me is when people think that there's this one strategy approach to solving all problems. So we're going to let people work from home. It's going to solve all, all our problems. Well, no, not unless you have the other things in place. We're going to do a four-day work week, and that's going to solve our problems. No, if, if people in those four days are feeling uh, anxious and overwhelmed and, and stressed, just making it one less, it's not going, to, not going to take it away. So you have to have those foundational things. But on top of that, we have to realize that people have different work styles and needs. There are some people who have floundered because they, the way they are at their best, when they are at the top of their scale, they have structure, they have pattern, and, and perhaps the people who are working from home and doing well also have outside stimulation. They have things that actually you know, help them feel connected to other people outside of the work, as well as having a good work situation. And not everybody has that. You know, sometimes your only, you know, work, work your only experience is work. The, the people that I'm most concerned about are those who are new to the workplace. So recent graduates from university. It, it kind of, you know, even if you like something, it may or may not be the best thing for you. And having the experience of a work culture, what works, what doesn't work, you know, how do people solve problems, you know, visualize, like taking in information in real time, as we all do, even as toddlers, as opposed to just training programs, organizations can make that happen virtually, but they can't make that happen accidentally. You can't just say, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to the needs of my people because I've given them the one thing that they want, which is to work from home. Like it's just, it just abdicates responsibility. Now, what you're alluding to here too, Paula, is, I mean, we're, we, we now talk in terms of we've got the research, epidemiological research to understand that work is a social determinant of health. Like when we're going into the doctor, the doctor should be asking us questions about, we need to talk about work. How's your boss? 
How's the culture? Because those things are just as impactful as, are you eating at McDonald's? Are you drinking too many Cokes and having too many fries? Are you not exercising? These things we're talking about now, we've got a wealth of research around it. You referenced the Surgeon General earlier, Vivek Murthy, about just a little over a year ago, put out the framework for workplace mental health and well-being in the workplace. And so really trying to elevate everyone's awareness, not just business leaders, but everyone in general, that we're kind of in a public health crisis phase. And so with that being said, what I want to ask you is this the mental health index that you do at TELUS Health. I was fascinated to, to hear about this and learn about it. Please introduce it to our audience and, and everything that goes behind it and what it's telling us. Yeah, very happy to. We, we in our organization at Tell Us Health, we have a really kind of privileged vantage point because we can look at workplaces and health from many different perspectives. So we support physicians, we have clinics, we also have EAP and expanded mental health services, disability management services, financial health, like a lot of things. So when you have that kind of broad perspective, what you get is a really good indication of what matters. And guess what matters? In all of those areas, you know, mental health makes a difference from a physical health point of view. You mentioned it's being connected to financial well-being. You know, it is the core of our experience and how we experience life. So how could it not matter? So with it being so important for individual health, relationships, work productivity, business success, all of those things, there really wasn't a, a clean, sustainable, real-time measure. And you've probably heard you can't improve what you don't measure. So measures were way too complicated. So uh, we went about in 2017 and between 2017, we developed mental health index, we validated it. And very importantly, we were collecting benchmark information. And that's how we know that from 2019 to April, 2020, we've had this massive decline. So we produce on a monthly basis and we've seen ups and downs, seasonality, we've seen things that impact us, but we also look at what makes a, a difference. And I'd say if there were, was one key message, I would um, I'd want I'd want people to understand that our mental health has been literally reset. So from 2017 to 2019, we weren't perfect, but as of 2020, we've had this massive decline, and it really hasn't improved all that much. You know, we've gone through the change and upheaval and so many other things happen. We had polarization in our society. We've had, we, we, we've had our brains wrapped in that kind of, you know, low level ongoing stress for a long period of time. And when you have that kind of situational experience, it's kind of like you're the part of your brain that's responsible for responding to stressful situations, fight or flight, that becomes so engaged, that becomes so part of your norm. And the other part of your brain that's responsible for empathy and emotional control, it kind of gets starved for energy. And then that, that balance shift can continue. So you have a trauma, just because the trauma is gone doesn't mean that the impact is gone. And we're still experiencing some of that, that impact. And on top of that, it's not like we went into 
you know, we had a collective um, stress vacation. <laughs> we went into uh, we went into high inflation. We we're, we're having wars right now. Like there's a lot of things that are still keeping us in that highly anxious state. So I all of that to say we have to play the ball where it's at. We have like I'm not here to sort of you know flip people out. It's not possible to do better unless you acknowledge where you are because you can't problem solve if you're if you're if you're deluding yourself. So we are in a more vulnerable state right now. So we have to make sure that we are taking action as individuals. But one of the beautiful things that we found in the index as well is those organizations who invested significantly and visibly in the mental health of their people, those people did better through this storm. So it, it, organizations can make a difference. I love that last part in particular, that we have evidence that when you focus on it, you put the interventions in place that we're moving the needle on those things. Just one more question about the mental health index, because I know this is the first time a lot of our listeners are hearing about it, Paula, as you describe it. We don't want you to give away all your trade secrets, but can you kind of give us an idea? What are the types of things that are measured or captured in it that yeah. go into the overall scores that we get on it? Well, and I'm happy to answer because one thing I will say is that we're we're doing it not, not not for just our benefit. Like obviously, we use it as an organization to help make sure that we're doing the right things, you know, to, to help to help with the issues that matter. Uh, but it's free and publicly available. It's uh, on our website. You just type into a search engine "mental health index uh, TELUS Health." It'll come up. For individuals, we want individuals to have insights, and for organizations, we want them to have a, some some guidance. Uh, and we look at people's experiences. So we took you know over three hundred indicators and boiled it down to a set that make a difference. Where we're looking at people's experience of anxiety, their optimism, uh, their isolation, you know, the, the indications of. A depressive experiences. So we put that and a few other things all together in, in our index, and that helps us really measure where people are across the board. So it's sensitive to people who have illness, but it's also sensitive to your level of, of well-being. And I'll, I'll just add one thing to it. When we were doing our, our research in what matters, we looked at everything. And one of the things that came up was uh, financial well-being in a particular way. So the presence or absence of emergency savings was one of the strongest indicators. It wasn't just overall well-being, like your knowledge, all of that was important. But the presence or absence of emergency savings, regardless of your income. So there is something about having that safety net, that cushion, that that realization that you can you can withstand the ups and downs that are that always happen in life that helps with your mental resilience or if you don't have it, can drain it. Yeah, it's so interesting because we we just uh, last week we had our uh, quarterly panel with Odeon Capital Conversations Group. And we were talking about that. We were talking about the the wealth gap, and we're talking about it's not only the you know there's this one percent, but that's such an extreme, which is different than the top wage earners. But between the the top wage earners and the average and lower wage earners, 
the gap just is so wide because there there's the people that are draining their savings the people that are still spending there there are people with a lot of money but it distorts that because there's other people still trying to figure out how to skimp at the grocery store groceries you know gas prices we just heard yesterday or a few days ago have are have come down the price of eggs has come down but it's much higher than it was but most groceries are still higher than they were a year ago and two years ago and three years ago and and so you know keeping a roof over your head and some of the basic things which i mentioned earlier keeping a roof over your head and and basically keeping food on the table is still a challenge so it, it's not and, and i know and we'll get into this when we come back from the break a little bit more but people are concerned about retirement and for somebody who's 20 or 30 years old you know it's like okay i'm worried about putting food on the table feeding my children you know be able to get to 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 get childcare to get a job i mean all these stresses that are there and retirements you know far out but there's a lot of older baby boomers that are still working some because they want to most of them because they have to uh and and they're also dealing with caregiving not only sometimes their grandchildren and kids but their parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, I know somebody pretty close that's got a mother, father, and a disabled brother. Yep. While yeah. holding on a full-time job. Yeah, uh, and we 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 definitely saw that in our our index as well. So many things in what you said. So Jason, you talked about the social determinants of health, and and a lot of them are related to where your economics, where you are in an economic point of view, housing, stable food, having a job having access to to healthcare, like all, all of those things and more. But we also have a phenomenon happening right now where um, there's really a challenge in terms of people's loss of their expectations. <laughs> I mean, we, we have a, a society and our index looks at working people. We have a, in our society an expectation that you know, at a certain point you'll have a home, at a certain point you'll be able to retire. Like that's that's sort of the the TV picture book, and both of those things are at risk. You know, the price of housing is 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 challenging, and being able to retire, you know, people are starting to rethink that. And I also think people underestimate caregiving. You know, we are living longer. You know, we, we at, at a certain point, you pass to late seventies. You know, sometimes if you were lucky into the early early eighties. We now, as working people, most of our parents are going to live into our 90s. We're probably going to live to 100. That's sort of the way it is, but it's not necessarily a healthy 90 or a healthy 100. And 11% of our population, when we looked at it, 11% are supporting adult children. So again, with it just difficult for people to sort of have that footing after school, have that job where you're able to buy a home and, and take care of yourself and you know move on, that's not necessarily happening. And that's impacting the newest generation in the workplace because of the loss of expectation, but it's also uh, impacting their parents. Oh, there's so much to impact there, but we're going to take a quick break. But there's two things, and I, don't, I, I know I will lose these right away. You, you talked about lost expectations. One of our our friends of the show, a good good colleague of ours, is and uh, Jason mentioned him earlier, John Asani. He, I met him during the beginning of the pandemic, 
and I don't know if this is what caught my attention to him, but he talked about what people were suffering the most was the loss of future memories that they didn't think they could achieve what they would have. And that just stuck with me. And he always comes up with these these uh, metaphors and, and analogies and things, but the loss of future memories that I'll never be able to create that for someone is, is and so as soon as you said lost expectations is very similar. So we'll throw some more vocabulary at you. But when we come back, I definitely want to, we definitely want to dig in in the remaining minutes that we have into some of the differences because we talked about, you know, when we went into the discrepancy between hybrid and work and low, some people have higher well-being and some people are lonely because of that. There's a lot of differences between industries, between manager and non-manager jobs. So again, this average that we put out as a mental health index, some people are doing better than others. And, and obviously the reverse is also very true, which would, what, what we're really concerned with is the people who aren't doing as well as other people. And the expectation is, is oh, we're doing pretty good because there's this average. So we're gonna take a really quick break. This fits into the line because we're going to talk a little bit about growth mindset. You're listening to Geek Skeezes and Googleization. We're talking with Paula Allen today from TELUS Health, talking about the mental health index. We will be right back. Are your employees feeling stuck and just showing up for a paycheck? Is your workforce working harder to get back to normal than adapting to the future? It's time to help them break their addiction to certainty and develop a growth mindset. Developed by one of the world's top-rated future of work thought leaders, AQ Plus Mindset is a powerful tool to help your employees embrace change, adapt faster, and grow on the job. Conveniently delivered to any smartphone or laptop and easy to digest 5-10 to 10 minute lessons, managers can sit back and watch employee attitudes shift towards growth and innovation in just 30 days. Are you ready to help your employees thrive in this ever-changing, never-normal world? Encourage them to show more grit, resilience, adaptability, and unlock their potential? The journey to a growth-filled future starts with a growth mindset. Visit aqplusmindset.com or call 484-373-4300. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezes and Googleization. We're here today with Paul Allen from TELUS Health. We're talking about Mental Health Index. Paula, when we left off, we were talking about digging in a little deeper into some of the differences that you found. And again, this is all data-driven. You've got enormous data, and I highly recommend everybody do their search, right? not right now, as soon as the show's over, do a Google search for TELUS Health Mental Health Index, and uh, you'll be able to, to look at all the reports. But I have two questions. One is, you know, having done these for a while, was there anything that absolutely shocked you when you saw the results? But beyond that is uh, there are differences. Uh, there were differences between uh, genders. There's differences between age groups. There's differences between industries. There's differences between different roles in the company. Can you give us a highlight a little bit on 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 uh, some of the, the, the biggest gaps? Yeah, if I were to choose one, I would say the age cohort gap. And uh, we did find something that was a bit surprising. So we've, we've known in mental health for many years that your stage of life matters. Like when you're going through a period of, you know, a lot of change, just to the point of change that we had mentioned before, such as, you know, early adulthood or transitioning to retirement or whatever, when those big life changes happen, it's difficult for people. And we see changes in mental health. And there's also, you know, physical changes that, you know, of a hormonal nature that happen at different life stages as well. 
So it's not surprising that at a certain life stage, like when you're in your early 20s, you know, uh, late teens, early 20s, that there's higher risk. However, the way we've been seeing it now is quite different than the way we were seeing it before. So it's less of an age issue and more of an age cohort issue. So by that, I mean, those of, uh, those of us who are younger are just because of everything that's happened in our society. Like we, you know, if you're born into this, this high pace of change, if you're born into a society that has all these isolation risks, if you're, if your major sort of developmental milestones have been impacted by this sort of, you know, societal trauma, which is, which, which was the pandemic, it, it impacts you in a way that's not related to age. It's, it's your cohort. So what we found is two things. One is that the, the, the high risk that we typically see in um, under 20s, like early 20s, that actually, that same level of risk or similar risk is going into your late 30s, early 40s right now. Actually, the break point was about 40 in our, our data. So people are carrying that risk. And for workplaces, it really sort of makes it makes a difference because you're going to have some, the dominant demographics in your workplace have higher risk than the generation before. The other thing that we found that was the most surprising, like even our data scientists were just testing and testing over and over again because we couldn't actually believe it. In 2019, we saw a difference of about two points out of 100 between those who are under 40 and lower, those who are over 40. So those who are under 40 had a mental health that was about two points below. It's, it's noticeable, but it was you know, not massive. At the beginning of the pandemic, that increased to 15 points. Okay? And later on, so as recently as this summer, it's increased even further. So the difference in mental health. So it's not just there was a difference and that difference continued with everybody declining. Those who are younger declined more than those who are older. And as we're in this sort of, you know, hopefully a recovery period, we are seeing the differences exacerbate even further. So we'll continue to track this because I do think that there's, there's, there's definitely something that we need to understand. So coming out of the pandemic, why is, it, why is the younger generation actually getting worse as opposed to you know, the, starting to, to normalize? And I also think that we, we need to really pay attention to the pace of change on a number of different levels, because we, we were talking about AI. And people are talking about it in terms of the good that it will bring and in and, and helping us make decisions faster. You had the spreadsheet example, you know, healthcare is there's a big opportunity for improving healthcare. But I also worry about work experience. If we take away the, the things that we call mundane right now, do it is, is everything that we do then intense? 
You know, if you're, if you, if you, we, we need kind of ups and downs and ebbs and flows, like, you know, myself, if I'm, if I'm working on something and I, and I, I have a lot of, you know, pressure on my, my brain, you know, I might go to a PowerPoint that I was working on and change the color of fonts and just, just do something to kind of, you know, clear it up. If our, if our work structure is such that we've removed everything that gives, that gives us that kind of an ebb, like, there's a lot of opportunity for us to be much more tense because the intensity of what's being asked of us is more. So we do have to pay attention to work structure and how that impacts us going forward. Yeah, Paula, we, it, that's so interesting because just about a year ago, we had Stephen Kotler on and we talked about flow and, and getting into that, you know, which talks about the, we, we need periods of rest to rest our brain. I've certainly you know, fell into the deep into the world of uh, neuroscience and, and understanding that. And, you know, people don't real recognize that, you know, it's not just physical work, that our brain, although it makes up only 2% of our total body, it uses over 20 to 25% of all the energy that we have. So it's exhausting. So if, if we're, if, if instead of, oh, we're just thinking, we're just sitting at a desk and, 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 and trying to focus, and we're trying to use 30 or 40 or 50% of all the energy. No wonder we're exhausted uh, from that. But you, you right before we went on the air, and there's so many roads we can take on this, uh, we, we definitely have to have you back <laughs> to talk more. But you, you talked about uh, one of the findings you had was the impact of the brain, on the brain, of, mm-hmm. of all the stress and, and, and why this really matters. Because obviously, if our brains are stressed out, people aren't thinking, they're going to make mistakes. They're not as productive as they need to be. It, it's, it's forget the mental health part. And I don't mean that lightly, but it's just that, that what employers are striving for is how do we grow, how do we innovate, and how do yeah. we produce more? Yeah. Um, with, and how do we become more efficient? And we can't possibly do that with when our brains, when everybody's brains are not only at capacity, but over capacity and tired. And you talked about something called brain fog, the brain fog that you're saying. So yeah. can, can you share that a little bit? Yeah, for, for sure. What we, what we found is about 40% of working individuals, and again, it was a little higher in those under 40, are experiencing this in one way or another. You know, there's procrastination, there's, you know, difficulty taking in new information, there's difficulty completing important tasks, although you want to. It's, it's, it, it is fairly significant. And there are a few drivers of that. Number one, if you are feeling overwhelmed, if you have this kind of base low level anxiety, if you have some of the things that are being surfaced in our mental health in, uh, index, it, 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 it takes a lot of your energy. It, you know, if you have something that you're worried about, uh, or you have just this low-level, you know, undifferentiated an- an- anxiety, just because change, or you don't have that social connection, like it's, it, it actually saps you. So there isn't even an opportunity for you to actually be at the top of your scale because something else is going on. So this is this is so important because when you think about what what can cause on an individual level, you think about maybe like a high performer and they want to do their best and they're always uh, trying. Uh, they're, they're always uh, expecting to to uh, to overachieve and they're they're having this like drag on their brain like 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 many of us, many of us are having what ends up ends up happening. Well, that person's self-esteem 
is impacted and they go through a bit of a, a cycle about, you know, have they lost it? Are they, you know, are somebody going to find out, you know, is this imposter syndrome? Maybe it was a fluke that I was successful before. They look for quick fixes um, such as alcohol, drugs, you know, things that'll make them feel better in a short period of, of, of time. And we've seen increases in the use of unhelpful substances as well. From an organization's point of view, what are organizations wanting? So we could have all this lovely AI, but none of it is going to make any difference if you don't have people who know how to harness it, if you don't have that innovation around how to use it, if you don't have an organization with the resilience so they can adapt to it. You, you, you have all this power in your hand and it fail because you don't have your people at their best. Like that is the failure point. So, you know, being able to help people cope in a two ways. One is that we have to help people on an individual basis. I mean, there are ways that we can help coach and structure time and, you know, help people get beyond the, the symptom, which is the brain fog. We have counseling through EAP and other programs that can help people get to the root of some of the, the emotions that they're having, you know, the sensitivity to stress and develop coping strategies and, and deal with some of the trauma that might be from the last three years or otherwise. Well, we also have organizational interventions. We have we know that there are certain definitions of culture where that are healthier, where people are more productive. And all of that starts with training your leaders because the behaviors of your leaders, all of your leaders in aggregate is one of the biggest cultural uh, cultural pivots. Well, Paul, we are, I can't believe we're coming up to the end of the show and we've barely scratched the surface here in terms of the report, the findings, the insights and wisdom you're sharing with us. But before we kind of start moving into our lightning round, there's one more question I want to ask you. We got to ask it because we're a future of work podcast. So what I want you to, to make some predictions for us on the future. When, when you think about the future of mental health and let's say particularly within the workplace, what do you see? Pull out your crystal ball. Tell us what you see in the next few years. Well, in spite of everything that I've told you, I am extremely optimistic about the future of work and the future of health. I actually think the future of, of work is, is quite, quite friendly and accessible. And I think what's going to happen is that we're going to go through a period of time where we learn some pretty hard lessons about what makes a difference and how, how organizations need to function, how they need to interact with, interrelate with people, and also about self-care and how our relationships with others matter. So, you know, the more that we pay attention to the reality of the situation, the smarter we'll be and the better, we'll, better opportunities we'll have. And, and that's great news. But I, I have one question that we, always, we ask all our guests as well before the end. This is, this is a, a, a layup for you. Is, was there anything that we should have asked you that we didn't? Was there any like pressing issue that you just got to get out? The only thing that I might say is I, I, I do think that people need to understand how malleable the brain is. Like we talked about, we talked about the impact of things on the, on the brain, but it goes the other way as well. So, you know, when we change our experiences, when we have support, you know, things can make uh, things, things can change. And I think it's important that we do uh, a, a part of it. A part of it is, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the older generation sort of financially helping their children. One of the things I thought was super interesting is that we also asked people who had children over 18, 
what was the number one support that they wanted. And we expected it to be tuition assistance or home buying assistance. It was support for their mental health. So the number one thing that was asked of people who had children over 18 was support for their children's mental health. So, you know, that's that's sad in one sense, but hopeful in another because, you know, people don't ask for help if they don't know that that help will work and it will. That just blew my mind. And it also warmed my heart that that is the, the number one that they're looking out for is the mental health. And so it just goes to show the work that you and your team are doing at TELUS Health of trying to get parity, more awareness around mental health and its importance. We remove these stigmas of being able to talk about it, of being able to build strategy around it. But it feels like we're making progress. And, and thank you for sharing that with us today, Paula, and all the incredible work that you and your team are doing to help us get that progress to where we are and where we're going. We're going to switch into the lightning round now. We're going to ask a few questions to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level and help our audience do the same. So let's start with this one. Let's get to know your musical taste a little bit here. How about a favorite song or musical artist or band? Oh, I've got I've got two. Uh, very different. Elton John and Bob Marley. I love that. That <laughs> is quite that is quite the dichotomy. I like both of them as well, and that's also the first time we've gotten Elton John and Bob Marley on the show before for that <laughs> answer. So I love it. So are there certain types of things where you're doing something and you're in an Elton John mood and then in a Bob Marley mood? You know, I don't, I don't know if there is a difference, but either one will put me in a good mood. And I learned, I learned uh, early on, if you're, if you're in a mood that's not great and you play music that makes you happy, your mood changes. So, you know, I, I, I love his music all the time for that reason. I love it. I love it. And how about this one? Um, if there's one person in the history of the world that you could meet, who would it be? Uh, Victor Frankl. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the you know, life search for me, like virtually everything, you know, it's, uh, he's, he's, uh, the view of the world from the position that he had and how he was able to communicate that uh, has influenced my life in, a, in a, a significant way. So I would love to say thank you. I love that. One of my favorite books as well, Man's Search for a Meeting. We highly recommend anyone out there listening. If you if you haven't read that book, it is life-changing, just like Paula said. Mm -hmm. um, and then, Paula, how about this one? If there were um, one place that you could go, you got a free ticket to go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Oh, this is so uh, odd that it just popped into my head. Uh, it wouldn't, it's not a vacation place. Um, but uh, probably where I am, because that's where my family is. <laughs> I just, I, I love it when we are together. You know, we are, I'm fortunate to have a, a, a wonderful family and my, my happiest moments is when we have the multiple generations together. So I'd probably drive, you know, five miles, <laughs> not too far. <laughs> I love that answer and how appropriate for you for all the research you do on loneliness that you said the place you want to be is with your family. And we want to help a lot of other people feel that way too. So now, we absolutely if, love that. if everybody could be transported to uh, Tokyo or Paris, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain. Either. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Who knows? Maybe we'll get there one day um, with wormholes and stuff like that. No telling. We never thought we'd be at this point of talking about wearing AI pins. Maybe we'll be talking about time travel or extraterrestrials visiting earth here, you know, in the next few years too. Who knows? 
But Paula, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing wisdom and insights from TELUS Health, the Mental Health Index, to help us better understand mental health in the workplace. Really quickly, what are some ways people can get in touch with you and learn more about the work you're doing at TELUS Health? Yeah, I'm happy if anybody wants to connect with me or follow me on, on, on LinkedIn. I try to share as much as I, I can um, that's valuable. Uh, I really do urge everyone to go on your search engine, type in mental health index, uh, tell us health. We have um, a wealth of information there, but we try to make it easy because there's a way you can subscribe and get that the, each report as we publish it each month free in your email box. Because the number one thing that is going to be helpful is if we have knowledge, because then we can take the right types of action. Yeah, thanks so much, Paula. I, it, it's sounding like a broken record, but each week uh, we we just learn so much, and just when we think we're we're starting to get a handle on the workplace and mental health and belonging and mattering and well-being and engagement and experience, we learn something new. And you you hit it off the head in, in the beginning. It's, it's like we're we're really complex, and there's no one answer. But we're we're working on it. We're getting there, and hopefully AI will actually help us digest all this new information and and make us better. So really appreciate your time. Just for those who are listening and not watching, tell us is T E L U S. Tell us health, and then if you just uh, search for Tell us Health Mental Health Index, you'll have access to all of this. Or go to Tell us Health, and you can learn more about the organization. Paula, thanks very much for coming up on the holidays. So hope you have a great holiday. We'd love to, I'd love to get you back in the beginning of the year or sometime in, the, in, in next year because the story is just going to continue to evolve. So appreciate it very much. Thanks. My pleasure. Great speaking with you both. Thanks, Paul. That was a really deep dive on mental health and the work. But barely scratching the surface. Right. It's, it's, it, I mean, the, 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 the more we... We dig the the more we realize there's it's it's just this it's this rabbit hole. It is complex and it's so nuanced. I I think for me my biggest takeaway today I was totally unaware of was her stat on forty percent of folks experiencing brain fog on the regular. Yeah. That is a that's alarming, uh, you know, and there can be a multitude of symptoms in there, but that forty percent of people are experiencing the brain fog. That's ju that's just alarming, and it just goes to show that we really are struggling with the pace of change. We're struggling with the things required of us at work and life. And we've got to slow down and we've got to think about some better ways of getting support systems in place to help folks through this if we want to get through the brain fog. Because 40% of folks experiencing that, that's a huge number. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. And and when we talk about turnover and productivity and stress and, and all those things, yeah, that, that, that all the numbers seem to align up too with that with employee engagement surveys as we talk and, and why are so many people disengaged? Why are so many people lonely? Why are so many people struggling? And then, you know, well, if it's 40% of the 70% that are disengaged, that's 60% that are walking around with fit brain fog. My takeaway, uh, you know, it goes back to something that uh, Paula mentioned at the end related to that was, you know, that we think that how impressed she is that our brains are malleable. Um, you know, and, we, and the technical term for that is neuroplasticity. We talk about that all the time with neuroscience. And, you know, I've recently, my article this week in my newsletter uh, about that, which is free for everybody, was that, you know, that we still have a lot of people that think that success comes through the school of hard knocks, that you have to just keep 
doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Put your time in, put those 30 years in till you get a reward. And we have a lot of managers who are thinking like that. And, you know, it, it just goes, it, it doesn't help. And, you know, the other one is the old myth of old dogs can't learn new tricks. And that's absolutely false. We can continually do that. Uh, we learned a lot of the stories that we heard about, uh, you know, how our brains work, that, you know, you're just too old to learn and our capacity goes down. You know, it, it may get more difficult, but it, it's not even it's not even improbable or impossible. It's it's just that it's more attitude than it is physio physiology. And that's right. And that thankfully, way. we are hardwired that way because we're going to have to do it whether we want to or not. Um, we got to try and hard. <laughs> As the, older, as, as the older baby boomer in the group, I'm trying hard. <laughs> and you're doing a great job. You're a great example for everyone. And that's what we got to do. We got to continue learning and unlearning and become mentally flexible and, and work those muscles. We want to thank everyone today for tuning in and for watching and subscribing to the show. If you haven't subscribed to the show, please do so. Find us on YouTube. Find us on Spotify, um, Apple, Amazon Music, um, and subscribe to the show. But until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And special thanks to Googleization Nation and all our listeners and all our partners. Uh, we continue. Uh, I just checked our stats this morning and uh, we were in the top 100, I think, 72 last week or sometime this week on management surveys on, on for Apple and on GoodPods. We were number one last week uh, and I think we're still in the top five for leadership. Uh, on good pods. So we appreciate that everybody doing that. If you can leave reviews and continue to spread the word, really appreciate it. Thank you for being, again, thanks for being part of Googleization Nation. And until next week, remember, don't let the shift hit your plans. Thanks for listening to Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. This show was produced and edited by Hilton Productions.